From the capital city, I'm Kevin Allen. The running mate of Alaskan Republican gubernatorial candidate Charlie Pierce says she is withdrawing from the campaign team and urging voters to support Republican Governor Mike Dunleavy's re-election bid. Edie Grunwald was running for lieutenant governor on the ticket with Pierce. But she said yesterday that recent circumstances surrounding Pierce had led her to decide to withdraw from the campaign team. Pierce is a former Kenai Peninsula Borough mayor. He was sued last week by a woman who said he sexually harassed her when she worked as an assistant. The lawsuit also lists the borough as a defendant. Pierce did not immediately return a message from the Associated Press yesterday. The Juneau Assembly received a final election statistics report during their meeting on Monday. Out of 26,242 ballots mailed to voters, 9,137 were accepted and counted. City Clerk Beth McEwen spoke to the election. This was a pretty successful, low-key um, election. The two races that were close were on Proposition 1 and Proposition 4. Um, and as you all know the results, um, I won't belabor them, so I'm happy to answer any questions. I would like to give a shout-out to all the election workers as well as to the uh, Steve Tata from our Engineering Public Works um, Department as well as the um, contractors who brought us vote-by-mail ballot processing center on time and within budget in time to actually conduct this by-mail election here in Juneau. There were 376 challenged ballots, 204 were cured, 231 were rejected. McEwen explained the ballots that were sent cure letters but did not respond. Primarily, we're looking at those who did not respond to the cure letters that were sent. I think when we were working with Canvas Review Board, we may have had two or three that had responded but still were not counted. Um, one of them just anecdotally sticks in my brain where they did not provide a personal identifier. We sent them the letter saying we need a personal identifier. They sent the letter back with just a signature and still no personal identifier. So, um, just a few small number of those, but 172, um, vast majority of those are those that did not respond to the cure letters. Assemblymember Christine Wall asked this about postmark ballots. McEwen answered. The line right below that, ballots received via USPS after Election Day with no or illegible postmark. Is this the category that last year we had several hundred in this category and much lower number? Is that because, you know, people had to affix a stamp? And are these 10 SPS mistakes? Madam Clerk. Thank you, Madam Mayor. And yes, as a matter of fact, this is exactly the contrast between doing business reply mail and requiring the voters to affix their own postage. And there were out of those 10, I think three of them that had some sort of postmark, but it wasn't legible enough to actually read the date on the postmark. And then the remainder had no postmark whatsoever and came through the USPS and were received after Election Day. Meanwhile, Assemblymember Wall was on action line and spoke to the results of the mandatory disclosure proposition on this year's ballot. The Citizens' Initiative to repeal the mandatory disclosure of home prices in Juneau succeeded, reverting the city back to only voluntary disclosures. In retrospect, you know, 
I definitely, um, you know, wish wish it was mandatory. I think it creates, you know, better data for the assessor to equitably tax um, property owners in Juneau. But I do think that in, in retrospect, that decision to make it public, that information public instead of keeping it private was something that the voters cared a lot about. I definitely heard from people who who um, thought that information wasn't um, anyone else's business. And so um, I think that's probably what, what swayed people in the end. Wool says the city will continue to send out cards asking homeowners, new homeowners, if they would like to disclose. The city will continue to send um, postcards to home buyers when, when they purchase a house, asking them to disclose the value of their property. Um, and so I just encourage people when they do get those postcards um, to fill them out uh, so that the assessor has that information and can help um, just create better models for, for estimating what homes are truly worth on the market. Wool does not feel the matter will be revisited. No, I, I feel like, you know, it, it was put to a vote. We know how people feel. Um, I think maybe there's more we can do to encourage people to voluntarily um, disclose property in, in the future, kind of more education on why it's important and why it, why it helps. Um, but So perhaps incentivize. Yeah, maybe there's an incentive way to do it. That's a great idea. Mm. It would be interesting to see what that would would do because right now, I, I remember when I purchased my house, I I got a postcard and and I remember my um, other people in my life, you know, dis- discouraging me from from filling it out um, because you know we didn't quite understand at the time what what its purpose was. And, and so the more people understand that, I think maybe we'll get more participation. Assemblymember Christine Wall. The Juno Chamber will have a new executive director come November 1st. That was the word from current executive director Craig Dahl on Action Line. As announced at our annual dinner, uh, I'm stepping down as executive director from the chamber. Uh, effective November 1st. Actually, I was thinking right now ought to be my last official um, act, but last radio appearance. Yeah, last radio appearance. No, um, I'm actually going to continue on with the chamber. Uh, going to be working on doing the government affairs, but uh, on a much reduced schedule. You've been doing and, this since 2015. Right? Yeah, I've been doing this since 2015. It'll soon be eight years. And uh, Maggie joined the chamber three years ago. Executive Assistant Maggie McMillan joined Dahl on the program. She will be their next director. I've joked with Craig that one day I was going to, I would either retire with him or I would take his job one day. And I'm glad that I didn't have to retire with him and that we still get to work together because we do work so well together. This gives him an opportunity to focus on what he's great at, which is government affairs, and gives me um, an opportunity to focus on member management and events, which is what I kind of love to do. Um, So I'm really excited. Also coming on as new board members of the chamber are Heather Nelson, Roger Calloway, and Cara Holitz. At the chamber dinner, President Wayne Jensen was succeeded by John Blasco as chamber president. So uh, three new directors, um, new leadership, new executive director. It's all good. Yesterday, Congresswoman Mary Peltola joined several lawmakers in introducing Bruce's Law. 
new legislation that will authorize community-based grants and expand federal agencies' effort to raise awareness about fentanyl. According to a release, last year there were a record-high 108,000 drug overdose deaths across the nation. Over 75% involved opioids, and fentanyl-related deaths among adolescents jumped 350% between 2019 and 2021. A recent survey of 13 to 24-year-olds found that 40% had never heard of drug deaths involving fentanyl. Bruce's law seeks to establish a federal interagency effort to raise public awareness about the dangers of fentanyl and allocate funding to community organizations and coalitions to engage in similar education efforts. Bruce's law is named for Robert Bruce Snodgrass, a 22-year-old Alaskan who was one of the 72,000 Americans who died from a synthetic opioid-related overdose last year. U.S. Senator Dan Sullivan says he introduced legislation to address the salmon runs in the Yukon. We all know the fish have not been running for the past several years on the Yukon and many of Alaska's other great rivers. We need answers to why this has happened to our salmon throughout our entire state, and we need the voices of all Alaskans involved on this very important issue. Sullivan made his remarks at the Alaska Federation of Natives. He spoke to the objective of the legislation, which aims to get more information. I introduced legislation with Senator Murkowski called the Alaska Salmon Research Task Force Act. The whole purpose of this is to bring together all the stakeholders, the best minds in the world, especially our indigenous communities, traditional knowledge, where the harvest of salmon has been occurring for thousands of years, and figure out exactly what is happening to get the answers we need to then address this very difficult challenge. This legislation is moving in the Congress, and I'm hopeful that by next year at AFED, I'll be able to say it's been passed in the law and we're getting on this very important issue. U.S. Senator Dan Sullivan. The Coast Guard 17th District Commercial Fishing Vessel Safety Office reported the second fatality-free commercial fishing season in Alaska for this fiscal year. They said the first fatality-free year in the Alaskan fishing industry occurred in 2015. They clarified that an operational fatality is defined as a death occurring as a result of an incident at sea. Examples include a man overboard, a sunken or lost vessel, or an on-deck accident. The Guard reminds fishing vessel owners and operators of the importance of properly maintaining their vessel's life-saving equipment, ensuring that all crew members working on deck are wearing personal flotation devices and conducting regular shipboard drills to maintain the crew's proficiency at operating shipboard emergency equipment. The Coast Guard is encouraging owners and operators to review and be knowledgeable of the general maintenance and upkeep of their vessels. A Maine man who was convicted of killing and sexually assaulting a woman in Alaska in 1993 is appealing his convictions and sentences. The Sun Journal newspaper reports that Stephen Downs filed a notice of his appeal Monday with the Alaska Court of Appeals. A jury in February found Downs guilty of murder and sexual assault in the death of Sophie Sergi in a dorm on the University of Alaska Fairbanks campus in 93. 
He was later sentenced to 75 years in prison. Sergi's death baffled investigators until a DNA match using genetic genealogy tracing led them to Downs, who was arrested in 2019 in Maine. The financial future of millions of borrowers in limbo after President Biden's student loan forgiveness plan was temporarily blocked Friday by a federal appeals court. ABC Moise has more. As of last Friday, 22 million Americans had already applied for forgiveness, including Cleopatra Melton. She has nearly $50,000 in student loan debt. I'm extremely worried that it's not going to go through. She says the temporary stay now has her rethinking her finances, like whether she can afford to buy a home. She says Biden's campaign promise to cancel student debt was part of why she voted for him, calling this another example of people of color who make up a significant portion of borrowers being left behind. Never miss a story or a newscast at KINYradio.com. Now you're up to date. For News of the North, this is Kevin Allen.